First of all, on uh, Saturday morning at 9, uh, the women will be having their uh, prayer breakfast studying Rahab. So uh, women come out. It's a, it's a, my, my wife has told me it's a wonderful time. So <laughs> I'll know about the next one. The men's study will be the next Saturday. So uh, men also come out for that. Get my VBS hat on, talk about that. Right now we have a, a tremendous amount of volunteers. It's been awesome. But we still don't know how many uh, children will be coming out and what the need will be. So uh, even if you want general help, where you want to come out and even encourage the kids and pray and just, just be here, we know God's going to do a tremendous work that week. And uh, we just, we, we just I, I know we all should want to be a part of that in, in any way we can to, to see, because I'm sure there, there's going to be uh, praises about this week for a very long time to come. So uh, come out. Door-to-door uh, -door also, uh, we'll be meeting tomorrow at 6.30 in the cafe. All we do is, is we go knock on doors and invite them to uh, VBS or the Jubilee picnic, and we uh, pray for, you know, one-on-one -on -one conversations and uh, you know, we've had some divine appointments along the way, so uh, please, please come out for that. Also on Saturday at 11, right after the women's study, uh, teen events, uh, July 15th, 3.30 p.m., uh, Helping Hands Ministry, a uh, volunteer opportunity. So Ruben leads a team of uh, teens and anybody who wants to go serve. They meet at the church at 3.30 p.m. The Singles Adult Ministry is uh, having a picnic on July 28th at 5 p.m. So if you have any questions, please see Cindy. And our next weekday prayer walk will be on July 17th at 4 p.m. And yesterday, a few of us got to go out and just walk behind here, uh, prayer walk, just praying out loud. And we had some divine appointments there, uh, at least two, where we met some of the people from the fellowship room and uh we were invited to one of the houses and just just had a wonderful time just meeting them and uh also there was a, a, another person that we could just encourage and pray so um just come out if you can it's a, it's a wonderful time thank you i ask that uh, you bless pastor matt as he teaches and lord that it really touches our hearts and we can apply it to our lives in your blessed name amen you can stand for this first song, and then uh, stand if you feel led. You were the word at the beginning, one with God, the Lord Most High. Hidden glory in creation, now revealed in you are Christ. What a beautiful name it is! What a beautiful name it is! The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is! Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. You didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus, you brought heaven down. 
was great, your love was greater. What could separate us now? What a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a wonderful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus. What a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus. Death could not hold you, the veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are all the praise of your glory, for you are raised to life again. You have no rival, you have no equal, now and forever, God, you reign. Yours is the kingdom, yours is the glory. Yours is the name above all names. What a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a powerful name it is. Nothing can stand against. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus, what a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus, what a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. I live 
by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day. Up from the grave he rose again, and as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his, and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death, this is the power of Christ in me. First cry to final breath. Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand.
beyond our galaxy. You are holy, holy. Precious Lord, reveal your heart to me. Father, hold me, hold me. The universe declares your majesty. Dear Lord, I thank you for this time of worship, and Lord, ask that our hearts were touched, Lord, and that we allow you and we allow you to speak to us, Lord. Just break down the barriers, Lord, so you can come in. In your blessed name, amen. You may greet one another. Okay, so good to see the family together, especially through the warmer months here as we our diehard Wednesday folks. I love it. Finally, uh, back in the book of Exodus, we took a brief tour through, you know, a prophecy update. Again, if you didn't get a copy or get a chance to hear that, it's up on the website. The audio, the video is up there as well. Uh, we also have someone in the fellowship um, putting together the entire um, series for those five teachings into a book form so that you're able to capture that and go back right from the beginning to the end and follow through and uh, sort of study that at your own pace as the Lord should lead. So please open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 32, Exodus 32 tonight. You know, you might remember um, as we kind of left off here, interestingly, uh, we were on top of the mountain. I mean, we were on top of the mountain with Moses, right? We were up there as he was seeing a heavenly pattern. You know, you begin to think about that of the tabernacle and something we all have to look forward to. And I know a lot of people have thought, you know, what, why did God or why did God give to Moses this, this vision with this, you know, this particular heavenly tabernacle and, and, and you know, because God doesn't dwell in buildings that way. Well, in the Old Testament, it's, it says that his presence, he did dwell in the Holy of Holies that way. But you know what it pointed to more than anything? the glory of God. It was, it was his glory that was in that temple. It was not necessarily the magnificence of the temple for you and I, but it, it was certainly the glory. And it's just like anytime we open our word and we receive and, and Jesus Christ lives in us, you know, you know, we have his word, it's God breathed. It's his glory. It's, it's what we seek. I mean, when Moses, at this point, who had met with God many times, and we'll read it on in, in future chapters, when he could ask for anything, what did he ask for? He says, God, give me more of your glory, more of your glory that way. Don't you want that tonight? Just to draw more into the presence of the living God, to know more about him, to, to just rest in your father's lap. That's, that's my heart's desire for all of us here tonight. As we come in, it's, it's nice to come out of the world where we've been working and uh, many striving, and we can come into this place God's provided for this, this building and open our word and allow our minds just to be recalibrated, washed, renewed by the hope of the living God. And that's for everyone that would like to come in and sup with him. Everyone that would like to partake of that. I, I don't know what else to say other than, you know, thank you, Jesus, right? What other words do we have that we have such a great God? 
that desires love, worship, and all of our hearts. So let's pray, and we'll jump right into uh, verse 1 of chapter 32. Father God, we come before you here this evening, Lord. Lord, we know it's been a while since we've been on uh, this mountain with you, with Moses, but God, we also know that you've been writing it and sealing it in our hearts. So as we pick up here this evening, God, I pray you would continue to plow and create fertile ground for the seed to be planted, Lord. And that what you give us here tonight, Lord, may we turn around and be able to share it with other faithful men and women for the propagation of your gospel, that your gospel would go forward, that the good news would would just be preached throughout all of this land, through the whole world, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in each and every one of us. You will finish the work you began in us. And thank you for that promise and encouragement tonight, Lord. And now, Lord, we just want to lay everything down before you. Not a single distraction, Lord, not a single thought. Remove it from our our mind, even our mind's eye right now. Let us hear what the Spirit has to say. We ask this in your name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people prayed. Amen. All right, chapter 32 of Exodus, verse 1, hard to believe, we won't be long, we'll be through the book of Exodus and on to the next book, but it says in verse 1, now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, come, make us gods that they shall go before us, for as for this Moses, right, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Now, again, we, we know that he's been up on that mountain. He's been receiving a heavenly pattern like that. And, and yes, it's true. He, he was delayed. But what did the people really have a problem with? Even back then, you know, we say today, everything's instant, microwave ministry. But, but even back then, I mean, 40 days and 40 nights, right? In Exodus chapter 24, 18, it was 40 days and 40 nights. It wasn't a year. It wasn't six months. It was, he had just brought them out. And you know what was so interesting is God was sort of revealing this to me this morning as I was having a time of rest in his word. It was a blessing that was meant to be for Israel during this time. They had just traveled and traversed. They had just gone across a great sea. They had just witnessed miracles, but they had been tortured. They had just been brutalized as slaves and and been treated that way. And, And God had brought them out of that. He brought them out of all that. He brings them to this place where they, you know, he's being led by a pillar of cloud by day and by night fire. And and he's in they're in the direct presence of God. They heard the Decalogue already given to them verbally as they approached the closeness of the mountain, but they weren't allowed to go up. Moses, remember, they said, Moses, you go and speak to us. We'll wait here. And in all that, they didn't know what to do with themselves. They actually didn't know how to rest. I think that's epidemic today. Many of us, when we get away, we don't know how to take the technology and put it away. We don't know how to just be. We don't, do we? I mean, is it just me? We don't know how to just exist anymore. To to seek the Lord, to get alone with him, to be quiet, to be still and know that he is God. This was meant to be a blessing. I mean, they're going to travel through the wilderness. They're going to be making this journey. Do you remember how many times they, they had complained? Oh, we have nothing to eat. We have nothing to drink. And he'd bring them into a living spring. And then he'd, he'd give rain down manna. And, 
And now he gives them rest. And no, Lord, we, we have a better plan. We need to keep moving on, God. You're slowing us down. I mean, that's, that's what's happening here. And, and it may have seemed like a long time for the people, but, but to Moses, it was a beautiful time. Because see, Moses was in the presence of God. Moses was in the will of God. He wasn't off distracted doing something he shouldn't be doing. He was exactly where God wanted him to be. That's the perfect place all of us can find to be in the will of God that way, wherever that is. See, Moses found that peace and rest. He understood what the Shekinah glory of God looked like. What you and I someday will see with our Lord and Savior Jesus when we enter into our heavenly abode with God, our Father, and Jesus, the Son. I've called this a God-ordained delay. I don't have another word for it. A God-ordained delay. Have you ever had God give you that kind of a delay? Where he's speaking to you or he's telling you, wait. Just wait and rest. You know, much of the time I'm up here, I'm, I'm encouraging you to get out after your father's business. Go at it, right? Let's go. We got Tuesday. We're going to go out and see this neighbor's. Thursday, we're going here. Saturday, we're doing this. We got to go, go, go. But sometimes God wants us to rest to be with him, to slow down and just be still just long enough that we're listening to what he has to say because we, we do a lot of talking. God, tell me, please, Lord, help me. What do you want for my life, Lord? Show me this. How's this to be done? And then we're busy frantically doing all the things we do. Well, God, why aren't you speaking to me? I'm gonna die, right, Lord? If I don't hear from you, it's been three days. Some of you are laughing because you know. You're being honest. You know. You see, I believe it demonstrates a measure of spiritual maturity or maturation here. When we can come to God on his timeline, surrendered, sometimes he's going to say, giddy up. Sometimes he's going to say, slow down. Sometimes he's just going to say, be still. I promise you, wherever you are, in whatever aspect of your life, your work, your walk, what have you, if you are in the will of God and on that narrow path and you're listening to what God is telling you, be encouraged. Don't doubt yourself. Don't second guess it because the enemy will whisper in your ear, oh, you're wasting your life. Oh, you're not doing this. Oh, you seem you're, you're going nowhere. He loves to tell that to our young people today. Oh, God has a beautiful a beautiful rest in mind for Israel, right? As I mentioned in Exodus chapter 13, verse 21, he was the one that determined a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. Pillar of fire, not flower. Pillar of fire by night, right? He's the one that determines that, right? Why am I always thinking of food, right? Well, the people gathered together Aaron, right? We see that there. You can look in your scripture and the book there. And it says the sin began with the people, not with Aaron, actually. But look how quickly Aaron is willing to compromise. Do we follow the crowds without checking with God? Do we do that? Do you do that in your life? Do you follow a crowd, an individual, anything else, without checking with God first? You know, in our country, we have democracy. We have freedom. And it's a beautiful thing. But left unchecked, it can, it can produce episodes of sin. It can produce episodes of sin that way. 
It's a perfect example where the will of the people isn't always the example of the will of God or isn't always the desire of the will of God. We saw our Supreme Court a few years ago pass a law into this land, redefining marriage in this country. But yet, we know that civil laws are important because the New Testament tells us that when God says to pray for our government, to, to follow the civil laws, they're good, right? Civil laws are good, aren't they? And aren't civil laws good? They're good. They protect people. They bring order. They're good that way. But what do you do when a civil law con contradicts the word of God? There's a choice here. And you must choose to follow God. In the case of homosexual marriage, regardless of how people may define it, God instituted marriage one man and one woman, and that's God's design. People can take and manipulate it all they want, but it doesn't change the intent of what God established in his word. And it's very good. It's his design. Because we see once you begin to compromise and sin as Aaron did by listening to the people, what it inevitably leads to every single time is idolatry. You might say, well, pastor, that's sexual immorality. That's not necessarily idolatry. Well, Look here again in verse 1. What happens right after that? Come, make us gods that we should go before, right? That they should go before us. The people wanted gods to go before them, leading them to the promised land. They didn't, they, they didn't want to wait for Moses any longer. Do you see how sin begets sin that way? That it began so simple of, hey, Aaron, you know, what about this? Or, you know, I don't, you know, Mo, where's Moses? Where is this Moses? He's delayed. Where is he? It starts like that, and then, and then it propagates, and as it says, you know, little leaven spoils the lump. It begins to grow out of control, and next thing you know, they're going to be building a golden, or they're going to be making and shaping a golden calf to worship, and they've already met with the living God. I mean, just mentally try to get a hold of that for a minute here. I mean, I, you know, step, step back for a second and just really think about that. God has given us intellect, hasn't he? He's given us logic and common sense and the and, and ability to process and understand and, 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 you know, think. You serve the living God. You, you've actually seen his presence. You, you, you heard his voice through the thunder and lightnings. You know he's real. You know he's there. He just delivered you out of slavery. This isn't a question of, a, of God, does God exist or can God help me or is God powerful enough or fill in the blank. It, it's not any of those things. It's does God suit me? Will God do what my will is? You see, because when the people became unhappy because Moses was delayed, then they began to take things into their own hands. They're fine to follow God as long as God will do what they want. But is that God? Is that, is that what Jesus Christ talked about when he talked about lordship and salvation? You know, everybody wants a savior, right? I've mentioned it over and over. You know this. We, they, we all want fire insurance. But do we want lordship? This is what the sin is. And, and, and almost every, you know, I, it's interesting. As I've been, just in the last few months of counseling and different things that have been going on, I have seen more lordship 
situations coming up in counseling, just more than, than, I'm, than I'm used to or accustomed to, you might say. Normally in counseling, you see a lot. But it's not salvinic in that, you know, it's not, well, you've sinned and you need a savior. No, I'm a good person. I, you know, a lot of times you're dealing with that. I, I'm a good person. I've done good things. Well, the Bible tells us, no, no, nobody's done anything good. We're all wretched that way. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God, according to the word. But now what we're seeing more than ever today, part of this entitlement, you know, philosophy is this lordship idea where, where I believe in Jesus I believe he is the savior. I believe he went to the cross. But he's not the Lord of my life. Because that means I have to surrender and obey his commandments and statutes. Well, that's not popular today. Not in a culture where everybody does what's right in their own eyes. You see, we're going to watch as we go through this and we read through the entire counsel of God, all 66 books, we're going to continue to watch what this sin does, this foundation, this permutation of sin that will continue, will eventually lead to the writing of the book of Judges, where even when judges are placed over the people, they will sin, rebel, come and get right, sin, rebel, and they will establish a routine or a pattern of doing this. And finally, God will look at them and say, but you're just doing what's right in your own eyes. You've broken the covenant. You've broken your wedding vow. Jesus is the bridegroom. I'm the bride. We're the bride. They knew the Lord delivered them out of Egypt. He had revealed it to himself on Mount Sinai. There's no question here. Do you see the, the foolishness of this? Are you with me? Are you tracking with me? I, I think it's so important to point this out because if we can understand this in this passage and text today, we can understand what's happening out in the world because the enemy doesn't change his tactics. He doesn't, he does the same, you know, the pride of life, the lust of the, you know, he does the same things over and over again. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. It's the same three over, and it's just a mixture of which one he's going to do or how he's going to tempt because it ultimate, ultimately, it all leads to idolatry. No matter what the sin is, it may not start in idolatry. It might start with sexual immorality. It might start with a, you know, another kind of sin. But ultimately, the devil will not be happy because he is in direct you know, opposition to God because he wants to be worshipped instead of God who created him. So there's this spiritual battle that will never end until he's cast into the lake of fire. Even during the millennial reign of Christ, when we come back with him, we will find out, as we've read in Revelation, that there will be nations that will even rise up one more time. After Jesus Christ has set up a millennial reign for a thousand years where perfect law, perfect justice will happen, there will still be those nations that will rebel. Knowing truth, seeing it firsthand, experiencing it. You and I will be there if you're a believer in Christ. We'll see it firsthand and we'll sit there and go, this isn't a matter of intellect. This is a heartitude issue. What's your heart and what's your attitude? That's what this is. And it's so important once we realize this, we can begin to recognize a sin in our own lives. That's why I'm so thankful that the Lord, and I'm sort of spending a lot of time on this one verse, because once we recognize it here, we can almost always see the sin in our own lives. 
Because we, we kind of move it backwards. We begin to look and examine our own hearts. And then we start to say, ah, I see what's happening. In my flesh, I'm wanting to do this. Or, you know, I feel that inner whisper from the enemy. Hey, this temptation. And I can get, you know, I can easily get swayed or tempted by that. But once I start to understand the battle or the rules to the game, I don't mean the game is in life, but the spiritual battle that way, I can begin to recognize it. Once I know my enemy and I know his tactics or strategy, I can then defend it. And I can help others do that too. I can come alongside others when I see them hurting and, and, and going through you know, trials and tribulations. And I'm able to pour into them because I understand the root of the problem. And all of us can do that. That's why he wants us to study this here. Right? I mean, it's, it's really important. I mean, they were willing to trust a God that they could make, right? To finish what the Lord began here. It's, it's illogical. And I don't know, maybe there's someone that here that's listening to this tonight. You know, maybe it's here or online or on the radio, wherever it is. And they're still worshiping, I don't know, money, objects, people. And, and I have something very simple for you. It, it's something that's so profound. God gave me and it's so simple. God is not in the timeshare business. He's not in the timeshare business. He's not interested in renting you and I for a period of time. And then we kind of go back to our old devices or our old sin or our old pleasures. That He's not interested in that. He wants all of our hearts, minds, souls. He desires all of us because he loves us. And I know, again, this isn't a popular message tonight. As we read through this, I know we're not all going, yay, I love this. Thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for just ripping my heart out and showing me what's... But without it, how would we ever know? Without the calibration, we might not recognize it, right? I'm so thankful for this. I, I, God had to wash this through me, you know? And as I sat in my office, as I was preparing this, as I was traveling... I, Lord just kept, man, I, I don't know. I just kept coming to the Lord. I, Lord, I, I never saw that. I am, God, forgive me. You know, he reminded me that we need to be intentional to point our, our worship to the true and living God. Substitutes are never as good as the real thing, whether that's money, objects, whatever it is. And I started thinking about that. I, I, I encourage you. To look at your life. Are there things in your life that you've begun to put in a, a place of worship? It's possible, all of us. I mean, after all, they had just been walking with, with God. I mean, you know what's really interesting is later we're going to read how Israel will want a king instead of the king, right? To rule them. To look at 1 Samuel 8. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 8. That's going to be to your right. It's so interesting because when we study this and we look at what you know, God is trying to warn us, don't fall into this. Now, this is a Samuel, you know, setting the context of the stage. Samuel's beginning to get old here. He has two sons that he's going to place into service, but they're not like dad. They're, they're beginning to walk after their own desires. They're beginning to not care about the people. They're, they're 
walking into sin that way. They're just allowing themselves to do those things. And the people are getting wise to it. And so the people are going to go up to Samuel in his old age and say, Samuel, your sons aren't like you. What are you going to do about this? What's going to happen to us? You know what, Samuel? Once again, we're not going to wait on God. We have a solution. Why don't you, or why doesn't God, allow us to have a king that can tell us what to do? And then we'll follow that king and uh, everything will be good, right? Because we can persuade the king because he's a man and he's able to be swayed and persuaded that way. Where the living God is not a respecter of persons. He can't be persuaded at all. So yeah, we like this idea. Yeah, let's, let's introduce human, you know, you know let's, let's go that route. We, we feel like we can manipulate. I mean, we feel like that'll be better for us, right? And that's what they say. So look in verse eight or chapter eight there. Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his first one was Joel and then and the name of the second was Abijah and they were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his way. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes and prefer, perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, look, you're old man. And your sons don't walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the other nations. We want to be like everybody else. Meanwhile, God had created Israel to be holy and separate, to be a beacon of light to the other nations. And what does this beacon of light want to do? I want to blend in, man. I want to be like the rest of them. But, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel... Thank the Lord for prophets and men that will stand in the gap. What does Samuel do? Okay, I'm persuaded like Aaron. Okay, if that's what you want me to do, get the gold. Let's make the calf. No, what is Samuel? You know what? I, I don't I have a check in my spirit on this, but it doesn't matter what I think or feel. Let me go to the living God and see what he has to say about it. Let me wait on him. How about that? Praise Jesus for Samuel, right? So, and the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you. But what's it say they did here? They rejected me. Do you realize that that's what we do when we don't keep the commandments and statutes of God? When we try to walk in our own will, God looks upon it and he says, you're rejecting me. That's why Christ needed to come. He needed to set right relationship with us and the Father. Because we were broken. We had broken that relationship by failing to keep the law. Therefore, we couldn't abstand or keep the commandments and statutes of God. And so, so we severed the relationship. But God knew the frailty of his creation. So he sent his only begotten son that whoever would call upon his name and believe, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ, would believe upon his name, call out to his name, receive him as Lord and Savior. If they would simply do that, that he would save them and cover their sin and actually, better than cover, completely remove past, present, and future. He says, they reject me that I should not reign over them according to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day. He goes back to the very time we're reading about in Exodus 32 where he knows original sin. Even before that, when he brought them out of Egypt, he says, they have been a sinful people 
the whole time, a stiff-necked people. That's the term that he's actually going to use for the people of Israel. That's the term he uses for people that choose to follow their will instead of following the will of the living God. He says, you're a stiff-necked people. That's what he calls them. He says, yeah, that's what they're going to do. And he says, you know what? I want to tell you a little bit more. If they do this, and oh, by the way, they will, I want you to know what awaits them. He says, according to all the works which they have done since they have brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, which they have forsaken me and served other gods they were doing to you also. Now, therefore, heed the voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked for the king. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen. And some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thought. Basically, he's going to go through and he's going to tell them that, they, that this king is going to lord over them. He's going to be, you might say, even a Nicolaitan to some extent. Now, we know not all kings that were, were that way. David, for example, didn't necessarily tend to do that. However, his son did, right? So we can see there's, you know, and then obviously the tribe split with his son there, Solomon. But do you see what God was trying to say? That when we compromise, when we settle, when we, when we take God's second best, there's always a consequence. And, and there's it's something involved for you and I. It, it might be pain. It might be difficulty. It might, it's, you know, while we in our, our innate or even what we see, we think the most efficient route from A to B, you know, a straight line, right? The quickest path between two points is a, straight line, right? We understand that. But in our minds, we see it that way. But God may say, no, you think that's the quickest, but this, you know, a zigzag, this might be the right path. I can't take you, how, you know, tell you how long it took me to begin to even understand that that's how God operates. That God doesn't operate in efficiency like we were taught in the corporate world or in education, in the school. Efficiency, I mean, you know, calculus. Some of you studied calculus in here, right? We learned the long formula for everything. And then all of a sudden, what did they come up and say? Oh, by the way, I have a chain rule for you. Five steps, right? Well, why didn't you start by teaching me the five steps? Why didn't you teach me the... Well, because we needed you to be able to do the long way. Am I ever going to do that again? No. So then why did I need to learn it? Because it was good for us to understand. It was good for us to understand that. Some of you are like, I hate calculus. You just lost me. You just lost me in the whole message right there. It's over. What can we learn here? You can turn back to Exodus. I think the message that God's telling us in verse one, among other things, is it's possible to begin the Christian life trusting Jesus and then later begin trusting what we can see or even our own spirituality. You guys get that? We can begin the Christian life trusting Jesus and then later beginning trusting what we can see or our own spirituality. We fall away or we backslide. And, you know, they, he concludes verse one by saying, for as for this Moses, after all Moses had done in the spirit for this people, as though they didn't know him anymore. Oh, this Moses. What a lack of respect, right? Patience and frustration leads Israel to turn to, excuse me, idolatry and sin here. No, loss, no longer trusting in God's plan or even God's equipping. 
God's sustaining ability? Hasn't he sustained them? But no, they decide they're going to take matters in their own hand. And just as we read in 1 Samuel, it will lead them to continue and spread into idolatry. And it will consume them, even unto this day. Verse 2, and it can consume us, by the way. I don't want this pointed directly to the Jews. We are included in that as well, right? All of humanity, I would say, in all of God's creation. And Aaron said to them, break off, circle the word break. We're going to talk about what that word is in the Hebrew in a minute. Off of the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molden calf. Then, circle this again, they said, this is your God. O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So he tells them, hey, look, break off the golden earrings and bring them to me. Now, if you remember back in Exodus chapter 25, verses 1 and 7, God took a free will offering from the people. And remember that, and also what back pay from Egypt had given them. And that this was all to be used to do what? To build the tabernacle and to build the things of worship for God, for the kingdom of heaven. And now Aaron, who, by the way, do you remember Moses left who in charge? Aaron and her to look after and shepherd the people. Some leader Aaron's turning into be. He turns around and says, you know what? We're going to steal from God. That's what this is. We're going to steal from God. And we're going to take and use what was meant to serve God. And we're going to make an idol is that not blasphemous? Is that not the, the element of hypocrisy? I mean, what else can you say when you begin to think about it? This is God's, <clears throat> this is God's money. This is, everything belongs to the Lord that way. But this was money and offering the materials, really, that he was going to use to build the church. So before Moses, remember, he's still up receiving all of the pattern. You remember one of the pattern, one of the things he was showed is the priestly garment that Aaron would wear and all the things Aaron would do and how glorious it was going to be for Aaron. And what's Aaron doing down at the mountain right now? Blowing it. That's a good way of putting it. That's a technical term. So he's blowing it, right? He's committing idolatry. And he's leading the people into idolatry rather than standing up and saying, no, we'll worship the one and true living God. We need men and women like that that will stand in the gap today that will say, no, I won't be a follower of people. I'll be a follower of the living God. Well, Aaron instead received the offering of gold and he's going to make an idol. Again, God told him to bring that love offering to the tabernacle, but the devil whispered in Aaron's ear and and like I said, that's how it begins. He so subtly whispers in. At first was, hey, you don't need to wait on God. You don't need to wait for him. Next, it, hey, you, you don't need to serve him. You can make a God with your own hands. And you can worship that. And the people are going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Right? And we see it today. Right? Idol worship. Treasure building. So we see the people actually getting fleeced by the high priest Aaron. That's what's happening here. They're being fleeced. All the people broke off their golden earrings and brought them near. We see that today. This is a problem today in many churches. Pray in your prayer time for, you know, for forgiveness for the men and or women that are, are taking what's God's and using it for themselves. 
that was, you know, they're going to have to answer to the Lord. I, there's a lot of things that frighten me, but that <laughs> to stand before the Lord and to be accountable to what you're doing with the Lord's treasure, to the Lord's possession that way, and to have to say, you know, I chose to do what was right in my own eyes. I believe that's why that passage was written by Jesus who inspired it, obviously, and said, many will call me and say, Lord, Lord. And he said, I, he says, I will say to you, I did not know you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. You know, that's heavy, man. That's heavy. But, you know, I, I would fully concede that. I think humanity is naturally giving. For the most part, I would have to say, I think most of us here would agree that humanity is giving. They're very generous. And in this case, they're being very generous to their idol. However, I think we'd all agree we need to be even more generous to the living God. And I think that's what he's pointing out here. In the Hebrew, in verse 2 there, where he says, break off, that's parak in the Hebrew, okay? Now, I want you to contrast that. Hold your finger here. We're going to be in verse 30, or in chapter 35 in, you know, probably a few weeks there. And look down where he says, and this is again regarding the offering of the tabernacle after things have been made right. In verse 5, he says, take, right? And that word in the Hebrew is lakaka or keka, depending on how you want to say it, right? Take from among you an offering from the Lord. See how God handles it? Take from among you. This is, this is speaking of a, you know, a, a gentle free will offering, you know, much like he, he mentions in, you know, the New Testament. Um, but the word here in the Hebrew is parak. This is what Aaron's saying to do. And, and this is not gentle. I mean, this, this reminds me of exactly what John 10, 10 tells us. And that's the devil wants to do what? He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And that's exactly the term he used. Break it. It's not about a gentle love offering, you know, being a hilarious giver, giving unto the kingdom. No, this is not what Aaron's asking them for. Aaron's doing a give me. And in verse 4, it says he fashioned it with an engraving tool. I mean, this, this wasn't the spirit-filled work. Remember, God had appointed, appointed two men. Well, one man, Bezil, a Bezalel, and Alab, and Alab was to be Bezalel's assistant. And he said that they were spirit-driven. They were going to be men that God had given spiritual gifts and equipping to build all the ordinate things that are going to be used in the temple for worship, right? This isn't got anything to do with that. This is Aaron just taking with his hands and kind of making a ball, and we're going to call that a calf. Nothing about it reeks of glory, reeks of, you know, morality, honesty, integrity, love or something precious. It's all being done in haste so they can get moving to where they want to go. The promised land that they want their inheritance. This is sin inspired. You know, it's a four-step process. I was sort of looking at this first one, right? He thought it out. He melted the gold, right? He then molded it and he fashioned it. A four-step process. We're going to talk about it later because as we go through the rest of verse or chapter 32, God's going to have a plan and his is a three-step process. Far better, far better than what man can create. It's very demonic actually. What did they say afterwards? This is your God. Now again, remember in context, they had seen the living God. They, they had you know, spoke to the living God that way. They had received or will receive the Decalogue from the living God and now they're creating something with their hands and going, yeah, yeah, this, this, yeah, this is going to be it. This, this, we're going to worship this. Yep, yep. I mean, do you, do you see the, I, I, I try not to make it funny because in my mind and my wit, 
I want to absolutely pounce on this and make it absolutely hysterical because it is. I mean, these grown men and women are being told that they could turn around and worship something that was made by hand after looking and meeting with the living God that way. And they're all going, yeah, this this is a great idea. I mean, the church this size is 2.5 million people, right? It's, it's It's Israel. And they're all falling in line. So why are we so surprised today when we see people, crowds gather and they just aimlessly walk and they, they don't think. I, I, I spent a lot of years in Manhattan. My wife, as you know, is from the Bronx. Many of you know that. So I spent over, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 years either living in Manhattan, working in Manhattan, or what have you. And I can remember in Manhattan, the, the jo- I don't know, it's, if you're a tourist, I, I don't want to insult. But what we used to do when we were in Manhattan, sometimes the joke was, if you're traveling around, stop and just look up. You would be amazed at how many people will stop and get around you. What are you looking at? And I do it sometimes just because I wanted to see what was going to happen. I'm telling you, I get 20 people there. I'm not exaggerating. You'd, in like minutes, you'd have, oh, do you see that? Oh, yeah. What are you seeing? <laughs> I'm not, I'm looking at like, you know, glass on a bit. Well, what are you seeing? Oh, I see the bird. Yeah, that looks like a, whoa. I love when artists do that. You know, like the paint that goes on. I'm not knocking anybody's an artist. Name, but I love it when people splash paint on the wall. It's a, it's a, it's a miracle. And I'm like, my seven-year-old does that. I have to clean it up. What do you mean? It's a, you know, it's, what is that? You know, and I know there are people that are fine art and I get, I'm not gifted that way. So forgive me. Okay. But I mean, <laughs> okay. So <laughs> hold it together. All right. I told you, I, I, I start cracking up when I get to this patch because I mean, I'm, I'm really, you know, I live it. I'm seeing it and I'm watching 2.5 million people go, yeah, let's worship this. And, and that's why we're not to follow men. We're not to follow women. We're to follow the living God. We're to follow Jesus Christ, right? So again, we talked about how demonic it is and Aaron went along with it and the people proclaimed it to be their God. He was filled with pride, you know why? Because he, he liked that they liked his creation. Don't miss that in this passage. He was happy that they liked his creation. You know, the devil's more than happy with that. You know, anything that would detract from the worship of the living God is one step away from worshiping the devil himself. And he knows it. So he's more than happy to distract you with an, an idol at the moment. And then later on, well, isn't that what he's going to do in the end times, in the great tribulation, in the three and a half years? He's going to turn around in the temple. And at first, he's going to, peace and security. Everybody's going to say peace and security. The Antichrist is going to do this work, right? And then eventually, what's going to happen? He's going to go in and he's going to desecrate the temple. So he's going to create idolatry first because they're going to worship him right that way. sort of, Or worship the plan he's doing, the economy, the politics of the time. That's why sometimes you'll hear me tell you, turn off the Fox News, turn off the CNN, get into your word. You want news? Read the word of God. It tells you exactly what's going to happen and when it's happening. But anyway, some of you guys, I just lost half the men in here. I can see it. Half the men are like, come on. But all right. So what happens here? Well, he knows, the devil knows is if you begin to worship these political systems or this economy and all that, it's just like what's going to happen in the three and a half years. He's going to, the, the enemy's, the antichrist is going to walk and he's going to declare himself God. And up until that point, Israel will not recognize him that way. And then once he desecrates the temple by putting that statue and himself to be declared God, then and only then 
will they see the abomination of desolation in which he has done. But he was already on the scene for three and a half years and they didn't even recognize him. It's just like the 2.5 million here. They didn't see the undertone of the devil working through Aaron to build an idol that he was already trying to teach them. Get used to worshiping something, anything, your money, your property, your life, your husband, your wife, your children, anything else but the living God. Because once I can get you here, you're one step away from being trained to worship me. You're one step away. He knows that. It's the same trick. And he's so seductive at it because he could put something in there and it could even be for the right motivation and it's a bait and switch on you and you don't even notice it. Aaron wasn't acting like a true leader here. You know, he should have yelled, this is idolatry and we should destroy the calf, right? But he acted no different than the sort of political party or politicians, right? He was an example, I think, of one that leads by popular opinion. We need to be careful. And worse yet, like I mentioned, it was foolishness. You know, he, he's, <laughs> they brought you out of the land of Egypt. I mean, he, they know that it wasn't the idol, the golden calf that brought them out of the land of Egypt. They knew it was the living God that delivered them. But they were willing to substitute that because it would suit their needs. It would suit what they wanted, right? Man's philosophy. I've said it before. That's the definition of atheism. When you look at it, it's true core. The definition of atheism is the worship of man's own will. It's a philosophy. People say, well, it's the absentee of God. No, they have no, yes, they're not going to come out and say, oh yeah, we believe in God. Because they don't, you know, they don't want to admit that. But when you philosophically argue that with them, it's absolutely the truth. God is real. You choose not to believe in God because you want to follow, you've made yourself a God and you want to worship yourself. And if you said that to them, they would say, well, whether he is real or not, I'm not interested. And that's what the humanist movement of the 21st century that we're seeing, that have been in, in place in the last 15 years, it started actually in higher education through college presidents. That's where it began, the humanist movement. Go back and look at it. It's, it's quite amazing. Let's look at verse five here. So when Aaron saw it, now, let, by the way, I'm not saying all college presidents, I need to be I'm not saying everybody that goes to higher education has seen a humanist uh, you know, president that way. But I'm saying that's where it seems like the movement had begun in the intellectualism. Okay, that, that's what I was trying to say. So forgive me if I didn't say that right. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it and Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Sehak in the Hebrew. We'll talk about what that means. And... I don't see young people in here, so we should be okay. We're going to talk a little bit about what the Sahak means in the Hebrew. So it says, for your people whom you brought to the land of Egypt, you know. Well, actually, let me back up, sorry. When Aaron saw it, Aaron was what? He was flattered. He was enthusiastic, right? He, he loved the response of people. When he saw that this devotion to the idol that he had made with his hands, and he built an altar before it, he began to worship the idol just as he made it to be worshipped. Remember, that wasn't part of the plan, was it, originally? It was build a molten calf. Then what happened next? Now we need an altar to do what? To worship it. Do you see how this becomes progressive? This is progressive. It's crazy. It's, it's the same way that people end up in cults or cult worship. It's the same thing. And then it says, tomorrow is the feast of the Lord. Very interesting. You know, someone thought that they could worship 
the Lord God through a man-made calf. And I think this is one of the first examples, if you're taking notes in your scriptures, where you can say Jesus plus something. Jesus plus the golden calf. You know, Jesus plus, you know, this, and this is how you work your way into heaven. Jesus plus something, fill in the blank. It's an example of where we see it, right? They rose up early on the next day. This shows that Israel was willing to give their time, right? Their sleep, their money, and their service to this idol. And I would say just as many do today. In this area where we now read in this section of this passage, it says, rose up to play. Sahak in the Hebrew. I'm trying to think of a respectful way to sort of put this, but it, it connotes sexual acts. If, if you allow me just to let you understand what I mean by that, turn to Genesis chapter 26. You'll see this word used not in a negative way, but it's the same verb, okay, the same idea. Genesis chapter 26, look at verse 8. It said, now it came to pass when he had been there a long time, and this is with Isaac and Abimelech, by the way, just to recount your memory back in Genesis, where he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through window and saw, right, what does he do? He sees, there was Isaac showing endearment. See that word endearment? Sexual activity with his wife, which is absolutely allowed and, and God ordained, right? That, that, there's nothing wrong with that. But that term endearment, shahak, or you know, the way that we see it here being used, um, it can also be obviously used in a negative way. But here we see it with Rebecca, his wife. It's the same verb. So I wanted to show you sort of where it, it comes from. And in the Hebrew, you know, part of this, this worship included doing what? We see it here. It's eating, drinking in a sense of drunkenness, sexual immorality. And so when you really boil it down, and again, there's no young people in here, I don't think, and, uh, you know, uh, I don't know how to say it. It's a drunken orgy. That's exactly what's going on here. That's what we see, and that's what the Hebrew connote, you know, connotates. It's, it's they're getting caught up, and then what we're going to now see is it's going to slowly progress, and music and worship's going to be brought into this. And this is very important. So if you're part of worship, and, and I would say every one of you is a lead worshiper in here because you were created by the living God to be what? Worshippers. What you listen to on the radio, what you listen to in your music, all of this matters. It matters to God. You ever see a little baby, you turn on music, what do they start doing? You don't have to teach them to dance. You don't have to teach them the wiggle, right? They know the wiggle, man. It's built in because we're worshipers. God's created us to be worshipers. We got to be careful what we listen to because we're going to see how even the enemy can use that. So that's what it speaks to here. And it's, it's interesting to remember just short two months before this, like I said, they heard of God the first, they heard from God the first time, thundered from heaven, audibly speaking. Again, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments in the nation. And I think this dramatic experience in itself, it didn't change their hearts. Did you ever think about that? They saw the living God. They spoke and heard from the living God. But it didn't change their hearts. That's why people have said, well, if Jesus appears before me right now, then I'll believe. No, you won't. Because it's not a matter of believing. Even the demons believe. You won't surrender. Because you could have always seen. Because the minute you're willing to humble your heart and surrender, the scales fall from your eyes and you're no longer spiritually blind. That's what God says in his word. That's why all of you that are born again believers here tonight, 
You've been given spiritual sight from the living God. You see things as they are now when you can go out into the world. And what's been really interesting, as I've said before, is with all the things going on in the times we're living, even the non-believers or unbelievers, even they know something's going on, but they're not sure what it is. What a great opportunity for us to bring them to the word of God and say, this is what, this is what you're, 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 you know, the spirit that lives in you, that's drawing you. This is what it's saying to you. Have eyes to see and ears to hear, right? What the spirit has to say. What a dramatic experience here. You know, there's no excuse for the behavior. There's no excuse for denying the living God. So now we see the nature and sort of the result of Moses's intercession here. If we look at verse seven and eight. And the Lord said to Moses, go get down there. For your people whom you've brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. That's talking of the orgy and the sexual morality and the worshiping of a false god. They have turned aside quickly. I'd say quickly, wouldn't you? 40 days and 40 nights. Out of the way of which I commanded them. They have made themselves a mold of calf. What does this tell you as we're reading this? God sees and knows everything. Everything. And he worshiped it and sacrificed to it and, they, and said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. You know, I, God in this passage, he says, Israel, your people, Moses. Did you catch that? Your people, Moses, in the sense that they belong to Moses and not God, right? <laughs> in this, God suggested that Moses, to Moses, I think he was suggesting, I'm about to disown these people. That's what he was saying here. They have quickly turned aside. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshiped it and sacrificed to it. And God described Moses, everything that happened in detail, even quoting the words of the people. So I, I would say, you know, please understand this, my friends, as we look at this and study this, we cannot hide our true intent, our emotions, our character, our motive, our actions before God. We can't hide anything. He sees everything, knows everything, and is everywhere. Amen? People can ignore God, but he doesn't ignore them. And the, and the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. That sounds like a good proposition for Moses, huh? He says, I've seen this people, they're stiff-necked. This, this phrase is used in the Bible and is common. It's a farmer's metaphor, actually, if you look it up, of an ox and a horse that will not respond to a rope when it's tugged. That's where this stiff-necked comes from. And God spoke it here, and he had seen enough, and he makes Moses this remarkable offer, right? If Moses would only agree, God would consume Israel and basically hit the reset button again and start all over, all over. He says, I will make you a great nation. How many of you played Nintendo, Atari, ColecoVision, or uh, well, Xbox, right? Some of you, nobody in here has played those things? All right, thank you for a couple of you being honest. A couple of you are like, well, maybe I did, yes. All right, how many times when you played those games, have you had the situation where you're not performing well in the game, and what is your natural reaction to want to do? Reset, reset, no, that didn't happen. If you play golf, and you're on the golf course. There's a term for that. What is that called? Call it out for me. What's that called? Mulligan. Everybody knows it. Yeah, we like resets. Well, God was about to hit the reset button. You don't think that was tempting to Moses? Here he is. 
well, wait a minute, Pastor, that, that adds a whole layer of difficulty. I mean, wouldn't that have meant that God would have broken the Abrahamic covenant, right? I mean, wouldn't that be tempting to Moses in way low, Lord, that he, in a way low, in a way though, sorry, that he could be the true shepherd of his people? I mean, consider this though, that he could have completed everything that he promised to Abraham in the Abrahamic covenant and Isaac and Jacob, by the way, he simply could have put Moses as the new Abraham in God's plan for Israel. He could have done it. I mean, he's God. He, could, he clearly could have done it. Moses had an opportunity to basically be honored as Abraham was and revere, you know, revered by every generation following, just as Abraham was considered the what? The father of Israel. That could have been Moses. He knew that. But Moses wasn't biting because he knew God had already through the spirit had already touched his heart and he had different plans for him. And in verse 10, it says, let me alone that my wrath may be hot against them or burn hot against them. God didn't ask for Moses' opinion or even his participation in this, right? He simply told Moses, let me alone that I can do this. And the clear, the clear idea here is that if Moses did nothing, the plan was a go. And then you think about that, oh my, right? Verse 11, then Moses pleaded with the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of land? Notice that Moses is God, you know, remember God said, Moses, your people. Moses is like, um, let's just go back to your people, right? So he says, uh, your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with might of hand. Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountain and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore before your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have spoken or I give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So Moses knew, he knew of what had been promised to Abraham. He knew it could have been, and to the God of Moses instead of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's more than happy to could have just reset that, you know, but no, he, he wasn't content with that because it says he pleaded with the Lord. Until, and, and the reason we know that is because it was according to what God had believed and what was in God's heart already. He didn't want to destroy this people that way. But it, there needed to be intercessory prayer. Because part of this was Moses learning how to become a shepherd. Learning how to lay down his life for the people. If he truly loved them he would be able to come back and intercede. We see that in Paul in the New Testament when he said, all of Israel, Lord, he said, let their sin, if it would become upon me, I would go to hell that all of Israel would be saved. The work of Jesus Christ already did that. Paul didn't need to do that. But there comes a point when, in our lives where we realize that we see the lost and dying folks of this world and we cannot in any way be content. We can't sit and just let it go because it stirs us. Woe if I do not preach and teach the word. Woe if I do not give the gospel of Jesus Christ. Woe if they do not hear of salvation. That fire should burn all, you know, burn all of us. We should have a desire after that. We shouldn't have a contentment there. 
So I believe God put this on Moses' heart. And in his prayer, Moses first gave the people back to God. Lord, they belong to you. They don't belong to me. You can do whatever you want to do with them. Now, I think this is beautiful in Moses' prayer because this is the right foundation. Do you see that? Authority is established. When we're praying, many times God will use us for intercessory prayer. Something's going on in our lives. And many times we don't get the answer to that prayer until we let go. And so we're willing to come to God and say, that's my wife, Lord. Whatever your will be done. This is my children, God. This person has cancer. Lord, I, 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 can't, I can't bear with the thought of losing them. This is my child. This, and you give them to the Lord. And many times, not always, but many times God will move in a miraculous way. One, he gets all the glory. But two, it's us letting go and giving it to God and not trying to micromanage him. Isn't that difficult, though? I mean, we know we're no different than Israel in that. We know that God is all-powerful. We just read it. He knows every thought we have, every motive in our hearts. And all he wants us to do is surrender. And yet, we like tug-of-war. We're not a surrender kind of people, are we? We're a tug-of-war kind of people. I give it to him, and then what do I do? I dig it back. I then yell at him. I then give it back to him. And then what do I do? Take it back again. And this goes on and on and on until finally we get so broken that we fall on our knees, we're weeping, and we say, God, please don't ever let me touch it again. Take it from me. And at that moment, even in our brokenness, no matter what's going on, if we've got a terrible news from the doctor, our wives leaving, our husbands, whatever brokenness you're going through, death, you know, the worst of circumstances that could be in your, whatever that is, you find an immediate peace in that brokenness at that very moment that you can't explain. It's like Philippians 4, 6 says, it really does surpass all understanding. But it's of the Lord. But it's in those times of brokenness. There are people here tonight that are broken, that are going through trials and struggles. And right now you're, you're not feeling joyful, but you need to put on the joy. It's in it's an intentional aspect. We, we have to do that. God knew Moses. Moses knew God. And he interceded and pleaded with the God through prayer. And it began with the authority that God had. Your prayers need to begin with the authority of God. Who he is in your life and what he can do. Next, Moses appeals to God based on what? Grace, glory, and honor, right? Honor of who? Of him, of the true living God. And he concludes it with appealing to his goodness. Lord, keep your promises. You're a good God and you're always faithful. Have you ever prayed that way? I've prayed that way. Lord, I pray that way often. Lord, you said in your word, and I claim the promises of God. And I will tell you, we can play that same way today because our God doesn't change Never, ever. He's the ancient of days, as we're told in Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. In verse 14, we're going to read, and God will relent from his anger. So the Lord relented from this harm, which he said he would do to his people. So God answers Moses' prayer. God was going to destroy the nation, but Moses prayed the heart of God, so the Lord relented. Please notice that Moses did not change God, right? His prayer didn't do that. His prayer didn't change God's mind. It's not, that's not what we see here. But it did change the standing of God's people in his sight. 
That's what it did. That's what intercessory prayer does. The people were now put in a position or a place of mercy. That's what Moses did. He put them in a place of mercy by praying that way. When before, where were they? They were in a place of what? Judgment. Judgment, right? I love that we get to see the inner workings of discipleship of God here. God didn't destroy Israel. He knew he wasn't going to destroy Israel. He deliberately put Moses again into a place of intercession and that Moses would now learn how to discern and develop God's heart for the people, a heart of true love and compassion. And Moses prayed just as God wanted him to. And I would say tonight, that's how God wants us to pray. Amen. So we're at our time. We're going to close there. I would have liked to get a little bit further, but as we pick up for next week, Moses in verse 15 is going to begin to confront Aaron. Moses is going to come down from the mountain. And it's a very, uh, I would encourage you to try to be here if you can. This is um, going to be a very, I, I hope to get there tonight, but we just ran out of time. It's going to be a lot on worship. We're going to be looking at Ezekiel. We're going to go back to uh, Genesis. We're going to be looking at Exodus. And we're going to be looking at how God's people were meant to worship. And again, when Moses comes down and he begins to accuse, as he says he's going to start to come down, he's going to hear this racket, this noise, this call. That's what it's called in the Hebrew. And, and he's going to hear this. He's going to say, you know, Joshua's going to say, what is that? And Moses is going to come down. He's even going to see the people dancing. And I have to tell you, this is, I don't think it's going to be popular. I don't think it's going to itch ears. But I think if we come with the right heart to next week's study and we're willing to receive what the Spirit has to say, I think God's going to just illuminate. He's going to show us things that many of us probably have never seen. This is the first place in Scripture, in all of Scripture, where God defines and gives us an idea of what good worship looks like and what bad worship looks like, and the, fa and the fact that there is such a thing. You know, there is worship in the wrong way in capacity. You know, being moved that way by emotion instead of what worship was designed to do, and that's bring us into a humility and praise to the living God. Amen? Let's stand and pray. You guys got another hour? We'll, we'll keep it. Oh, there's so much in the Word. It's just so much meat on the bone, huh? Lord, we thank you again tonight, Lord. Thank you for just teaching us, Lord, showing us discipleship. Lord, even teaching us how we can approach you, God, just as Moses did. Lord, he, he asked you to relent, Lord, to intercede. You know, you, you put on his heart to intercede that, Lord, when we see, when we pray in your will, that, God, you, you will honor that, Lord. And you even put it in our hearts to do it. And, and Lord, while we don't change your mind, we, we, we understand that it, it certainly changes the perspective of the situation, putting it in a place of mercy, Lord. God, we, we desire that, Lord, ourselves. Many of us have been backslidden and, or, or maybe, Lord, we've been thinking about it and God, you've been protecting us and we thank you for that. Lord, don't, don't let us fall into temptation, Jesus. We just pray for strength here tonight. We want strength, Lord. Fill us anew again, Lord Jesus. And God, we know prayer is our mighty weapon. Lord, we want to intercede right now, God, even tonight for our brothers and sisters, Lord. For those here that have been struggling, Lord, if there's a trial they're going through, God, I pray that we wouldn't just run out of here tonight, even though we got to go to work in the morning or life goes on. But Lord, 
May we put into practice what we learned here tonight. Maybe turn to a brother and sister and say, how are you doing? And Lord, may the brother or sister be real. And if there's prayer needed or, I don't know, Lord, maybe people will stay and break into groups to pray together. Lord, whatever your spirit puts on the heart of your people here. But we want to invite you to be here with us, Jesus. We want to do it your will, your way. And God, we also want to intercede for the lost here tonight. Lord, we know there's so many that don't know you because of either the hardness of their heart, Lord, or because many uh, many other reasons, God. But Lord, we pray that you would begin to just break those strongholds in people's lives, whether it's pornography, alcohol, drug addiction, Lord, opioids, and uh, all of the gamut of things, Lord, that draw us in and draw the lost, those that don't know you, Jesus, in thinking that it will provide them a the answer that they're seeking, God. We know it's all a lie, Lord. We know it's all a bait and switch by the devil. God, I pray that you would take the blinders off those that don't know you, that even for a moment they would see and begin to believe. Oh, Jesus, I pray you would move on this Harrisburg area, this West Shore and East Shore. I pray you'd bring a revival here tonight, Lord. That it would begin in our hearts here, and it would ripple through the, the area, the workplaces, Lord. I think of the schools, the libraries, Lord, the summer schools, the summer programs, the soccer camps, all, Lord, all where you dwell. And Lord, even where you're not welcome, I pray that God, you would go. And maybe, Lord, you'd use one of us. So give us that word tonight, Lord, where you'd send us next as we would say, here I am, Lord. And just seal all this in our hearts. Thank you, Jesus for being our God and allowing us to be your people. We pray this in your name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people prayed. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. I love you all. And again, if you guys have, uh, have it on your heart, turn to your neighbor and just ask them how they're doing. And maybe they need prayer. Maybe they need a hug. Maybe they need a high five. I don't know what y'all do. But be real. Don't, don't walk out of here without at least asking one person, how you doing? Okay? God bless you all.